The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Welcome back. Inviting everyone who is in earshot to join us for a short Dharma talk. So, very happy to have been sharing the morning with you today. Um, we've been practicing with noticing the stream of changing experiences that are received in awareness. We focused on whatever was most obvious that came into awareness, as well as the mind's relationship to the experiences that were arising. You know, the attitude of mind or what the mind was doing with the experience that was present. So everything we need to learn about ourselves, about how our conditioning and habit patterns of mind have been creating dissatisfaction, stress, suffering, can gradually be discovered in this way as we continue to do this practice with curiosity. What's so important is that how this is how this relates to your own purpose for meditating. And also, so it's good to keep that in mind. That's why I invited you to start the day with what is your purpose? You know, what's your intention for meditating? And it's also very important that this be informed by what is called wise understanding or right understanding. Wise understanding includes the recognition that our actions have consequences. And actions can refer to thoughts. Our thoughts have consequences. Our speech, internal or external speech, has consequences. And our behaviors or physical actions have consequences. And over our lifetime, these actions of thought, speech, and behavior have conditioned habits of mind that underlie these problems of unhappiness, dissatisfaction, stress, and suffering. So usually those problems are what draw us to mindfulness practice. Um, most of us would like to find a more reliable form of happiness instead of, of trouble, difficulty. We want to find awakening or, um, you know, a kind of awareness that lasts in a satisfying state. Um, and while we're going through this, we also develop wise understanding of the three characteristics of conditioned existence. The fact that conditioned things um, and people are uh, inconstant, they change, they can't be relied upon as a permanent source of happiness, that there's this built-in kind of unsatisfactoriness, what's called dukkha in Pali, that things don't quite match up. We don't perfectly match with other people. Our wishes and needs don't match with what life has to offer completely. And finally, we don't have a fixed self, a, a me or mine that's just one way. We are more like ever-changing processes. So as we become aware of these, these forms of wise understanding 
and we notice the objects that pass through the mind. We learn about the attitudes of mind that are common patterns with us. We see that this conditioning that we've had for a lifetime causes unhappiness. Um, and over time, we, we see how that works and we start to have insights. We start to be able to make choices towards more wholesome, helpful thoughts, speech, and actions. And some of these old condition habits that are painful start to fall away. So, you know, as an example, perhaps today you became aware of some attitude you have towards your practice. So sometimes people notice they're impatient with their practice. They want it to be further along than it is. Or they notice they're very, you know, self-critical about every little thing in their practice. Um, and maybe as you notice that, you could become aware that the tone of your inner voice as you ask the question, what am I aware of now, might be slightly demanding or it's expecting something different or special. And um, the Or you might have the attitude, you keep seeing the same things over and over and over again. Um, and the more you start to see this impatience or this self-judgment over time, you can get curious about it. You can start to investigate it a little bit and it may start to dawn on you, wow, I'm really hard on myself. Um, this is the way one can relate to, for example, a hard childhood. Sometimes kids will blame themselves for every unpleasant thing that's happening. And this develops into a habit as an adult of being very self-critical. So as, as we see these things again and again, and we study what the mind's doing it, doing with it, we start to have more insight over time. We start to be kinder and more compassionate towards our experience. The same thing could happen if if you notice craving when you're sitting. Sometimes the craving is for a better experience or a lot of people crave, you know, really unusual, blissful experiences or they crave concentration or the jhanas and they feel like I've got to have this in order to be a good meditator or in order to make progress. And the more we see ourselves uh, doing that over and over again, chasing after some pleasant or some better experience, we might start to notice, oh, wait a minute, the experience that's here now is the experience I'm having. And actually over time, you can start to feel more relaxed and happier uh, just by being with what is actually coming up and not being so greedy for great some sort of great aha moment you know i used to sit in meditation practice and then every once in a while i'd have some really unusual experience and another i'd talk with the dharma friend and they'd be like oh yeah that's that's nothing <laughs> don't don't pay any attention to that that's really not a good thing to pay attention to so i i learned that you know we can trick ourselves into thinking that we're supposed to have some kind of really unusual like ta-da and that's not really what we're after here um, so one, one of the things I was thinking about with respect to this practice we're doing is that one of the most memorable book titles I ever saw was the title of this wonderful Zen 
inspired book of experiments that were offered to help the reader develop more awareness and self-understanding. And the book is called How You Do Anything is How You Do Everything. Um, there is so much truth in that statement. And that's why it doesn't matter which which objects are coming into your awareness. Why you can be aware of any sensation, any feeling, any sight, sound, any activity of the mind, and what you're you don't need any special objects. The mind will just be aware of this series of things, the things that are in the senses and in the mind. But the trend of your relationship, your attitude towards these things will show itself over time. Um, even if you were to only stick with one object over time, like many of us have practiced with the breath a lot, our attitudes, these conditioned habits of mind that create dissatisfaction, stress, and suffering start to show up even in that. So it's not the objects of attention that matter. It's what the mind is doing with them, our conditioned habits. So if we're always suffering from wanting more, better experiences or things that are different from what you have, that relationship will show up in your attitudes about your meditation and also in your daily life, what you commonly think about, what you see, what you hear, it will be there. If you're always pressuring yourself or feeling aversive towards things, if you think you're not good enough or your practice isn't good enough or your life isn't good enough, that will show itself in everything you do in your life, your work, exercise, meditation, relationships, everything. Uh, patterns show up with resistance in the mind and body or restless and remorse or with doubt, self-doubt doubt in the practice. So any of these things that are referred to as the hindrances will show themselves over time in our attitudes of mind. And by being curious about these when they come up, not just, oh, ugh, I'm having a hindrance, but just getting curious about them um, and investigating them a little bit, when we're experiencing them, they start to unwind old unwholesome conditioning starts to fall away and is replaced with the absence of it, which is a relief, and then with more wholesome states. So instead of impatience, you start to develop compassion, being able to know not only how you've suffered, but how others suffer. And an attitude of caring and kindness becomes more present. Or instead of chasing one in, one unhealthy pleasure after another, contentment, happiness with wholesome, simple pleasures starts to grow. And of course, it's not just what happens in medit sitting meditation and movement meditation that's important in reaching this goal of lasting happiness or freedom from suffering. It's important too, that we get good information about how this works through direct experience and also through studying the Dharma, going to classes, going to retreats, going to Dharma talks, talking with your Dharma friends and your teachers about what you're experiencing. So we need that as an ingredient as well. And then it's helpful if we reflect from time to time about what we're experiencing in sitting meditation and in daily life, we can re reflect while we're having the experiences, but we can also journal 
or set aside periods for reflecting about the trends of what we're seeing. Um, we can certainly schedule practice discussions with teachers. IMC has regular individual practice discussions that are posted that are available. Um, or you can talk with a teacher on a retreat. And, and by the way, talking with Dharma friends is the best. Um, actually, if you know somebody else who's practicing, sometimes they have really terrific insights. Or you can just reflect on your own, sitting in a park, taking a walk. So the combination of these things, you know, what we're discovering in studying the Dharma, our direct experience, our reflections, our learning, these together help us move towards freedom. So this practice we've been doing today of awareness of experiences and what the mind does with them, being curious about them, investigating them, learning more about the Dharma, reflecting, these are ingredients that lead towards wisdom and freedom. And they naturally unfold. If you stick with your practice, do it regularly over the months, days, years, gradually it will unfold. Wisdom and freedom will unfold themselves. And I think of it as being a little bit more like a very gradual sunrise. You know, if you've ever been camping and you're you're laying out in the tent and it's dark out, you wake up and it's dark, but you think, huh, is it getting a little lighter out? No, no, it's it's not lighter. It's still night. And then you drift off and a while later you open your eyes and you're like, no, I, I think it's just a tiny bit lighter. Um, and then maybe nah. But then finally you're aware there, there is some lightning. The, the sky is starting to get lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. And I think of this practice as being similar to that. It doesn't necessarily, you know, there may be people for whom, bam, they're awakened, but they're in the minority. For most of us, it's more like a gradual dawn. And things, you know, you may go down the road a couple of years and then suddenly realize, wow, I no longer have this painful experience I used to have. I no longer struggle with something. So um, thank you so much for practicing in this way together today.